Hello. Welcome back to the Interesting Things Podcast, the official podcast for RichieSorcelli.com. I'm your host, Richie Sorcelli. On this episode, Bo Pearson is back with us again. Last time he was on, we covered a broad spectrum of financial topics. This time we narrowed it down a little bit more. Bo tells us which book he's most likely to give as a gift, and he goes over four key elements for anyone who's looking to start their journey onto financial independence. Just a heads up, we did hit some technical difficulties with the microphones in this episode, so you may hear some wacky sounds or some echoes going on. That said, let's get into it. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me again. How are you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm well. Thank you. Uh, so what's been going on with you? Oh, gosh. Um, not much is new. Um, I did have, I guess, the only thing really new. I, I had a little real estate investing partnership that I was kind of working on setting up up in Kansas City. Um, but because of the terms and the investment returns I was looking at, I kind of shied away from it. So, Did you have a good holiday? I did, man. I had a great Thanksgiving down in Broward. It was uh, really good. Uh, well, Thanksgiving has passed. Uh, Christmas is right around the corner. Um, so, Bo, if you were going to buy someone a book as a gift, what book would you buy them? Well, I think most people know me and my personality and kind of what I'm interested in. So, you know, I'm always trying to help people with their finances, it seems like. So I think Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I think is one of those books that everybody should read. Kids, you know, all the way up through adults. It's foundational. Changes your whole outlook on your approach to finances and, and all that stuff. So that probably be, uh, it's kind of an easy read. It's not too complicated and uh, really change your outlook. So, And who wrote that? That's Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's one of the best-selling personal finance books of all time. Does he have um, – is he just books or does he have a podcast, a YouTube channel, anything like that? Uh, he does have numerous outlets. He, he does like seminars, you know, where you pay, you know. He does a lot of real estate investing like uh, seminars that you can go to. I don't necessarily know if he has, I think he does have a podcast, but I'm not hundred percent sure. I've just read his books. I've been to one seminar. Um, actually wasn't that impressed with the seminar, believe it or not, but his book was great. Okay. And, um, are there any podcasts or YouTube channels or, or blogs that you recommend to people usually? Yes. I, I listen to several blogs. Um, choose F choose F I F I stands for financial independence. It's kind of a whole movement. In fact, it was just on the front page of the wall street journal, the whole F I movement, a whole in-depth article related to that. So I listened to that one religiously. I listen to the bigger pockets podcast, which is all about real estate investing. Um, usually plug it into that once a week and then bigger pockets also has a money, uh, like financial independence, podcast. So they've got two, one about real estate and one about, you know, just personal finance. So those three are the ones that I've listened to pretty religiously. All right. Good stuff. Well, I'll make sure to put a link to those in the description for the podcast for anyone who wants to check those out. All right, Bo. So last time we were together, we talked about uh, a broad range of topics, a lot of good information, but we're kind of talking about this, talking about that. Uh, I think this time we're going to narrow it down and we're going to focus on four key elements that people should focus on when they want to start getting into financial independence and, and how to make it happen. So let's do it. Okay. So where does someone start? 
Yeah, so I, I've actually done a financial presentation before. Um, so I kind of have it broken down into four key action steps that that people can take. You know, if they kind of want to start thinking along those lines of, okay, how do I get started? What are some action steps I can take? What's the very first thing I should do? And the very first thing that somebody should do is they got to kind of change their mind and, and start to think like an investor and not think like a consumer. Uh, most of us, I mean, this is a highly consumer-driven economy, so most of us have been taught from, you know, little kids to be consumers. Um, consumerism buys happiness, and that's just what people do. We work, we consume, that keeps our economy going. So there's a lot of pressure, obviously, on us to consume, and that becomes ingrained almost. So, you know, the minute you cut that out and you stop thinking that way, a lot of people, you know, have a hard time with it because it, it's so hardwired in there. People have been doing it for such a long time. So that, it goes, it's like it goes hand in hand with our society. So Step one, the very first action step is to begin thinking like an investor. And you have to know the difference between an investor mindset and a consumer mindset. I always think of it as kind of like a dichotomy in a sense where, you know, the consumers benefit the investors <laughs> because the more people consume, if you're an investor, the better you do. You know, the more real estate prices go up, the more stock prices go up because corporate profits are rising. So you want to be on the, the right side of that ledger and... If you think like an investor, you can put yourself on the right side of it rather than always playing defense your whole life and being a consumer. So that's the very first step. So I should not have just bought that new TV on Black Friday. <laughs> well, that, that's not a joke. I actually did, but I got a really good deal on it and my TV in the living room was dying. So well, it was, as far as my wife is concerned, it was a necessity. <laughs> well, it sounds like you made a smart purchase then. <laughs> Okay, so changing the mindset from consumer to investor, and what's the next logical step from that? Right, so once you start to think like an investor, then you should start to keep track of your cash flow and balance sheet. And for anybody that's spoken to me personally about personal finance, they're probably thinking, oh, God, here he goes with his, with his cash flow thing again. But it, it is so true. If you want to get better with personal finance, if you want to join the financial independence movement, if you want to start going down that road, you're starting to think like an investor. The very next thing is you have to look at your finances like a business. Uh, and any business has accounting statements because there's full accountability of where every penny is going. So me personally, that's the same approach I take with my finances. I, I keep very, very close track all the way down to the penny of everything that gets spent. And I also keep track of a balance sheet. So I know my assets and my liabilities at all times. Um, so the trick is to take the free cash flow from the cash flow statement to buy assets that produce income, which should be improving that balance sheet over time. Uh, a very high balance sheet or net worth, whatever you want to call it, should give you financial independence if you play that game long enough. So just like accounting statements with a business, understand your cash flow, understand your balance sheet. If you do those two things and you're thinking like an investor, you've got a hell of a foundation for building some financial success for yourself later down the road. All right. And um, balance sheets, for some reason, is something that people just don't like to do. They just avoid doing it. What, why do you think that is? What do you think the repulsion is to some people about actually putting their finances on paper in black and white? Because it holds people accountable. And if it's not good, nobody wants to be held accountable, right? <laughs> that, that's the truth of it. Uh, people that are really good with their finances um, love to see their balance sheet because it's jumping up drastically month to month, week to week. 
um, it's very healthy. You should, you know, somebody that's done very well for themselves obviously has a whole long list of cash flowing assets and they've got very, very limited liabilities. So it's a beautiful thing to see. It's a beautiful thing to see it improving over time. You know, my favorite day of the month is the first of the month because I get to see all the cash flow coming in from rental properties. I get to see all the cash flow coming in from my earned income from my job. And I have a ton of free cash flow every month, you know, anywhere probably four to $6,000 that goes straight to my balance sheet. That's just straight free cash. So and I use that four to six thousand to build up my balance sheet, you know, to buy assets. So the first of the month, because I'm looking retroactively at the previous month, is the best day of the month. Rental checks come in, you know, I'm able to see how I did the month before. Um, so it's a good thing for me because it's so positive and it's it's rewarding. But for most people, the first of the month is terrible. You got to make rent checks or or mortgage payments. You got all your bills due. So you know who wants to look at something that's not pleasant to look at in terms of holding themselves fully accountable. So I would think that that would probably be the reason why it's not a pretty picture for most people that are just getting started. And a lot of times, I think people have that moment of reckoning where they take a look at that stuff for the first time and it's so awful to look at that is not pleasant. It's not fun. So it can be emotional for a lot of people. I've had people cry, you know, when they, when they take a look at that stuff. So, but it is something that people can turn around now, like as bad as it looks when they finally do it and as emotional as it can be, it is something that the majority of people are able to turn around without. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And, and the first thing is to hold yourself accountable, you know, step on that scale every day, see where you're at. You know what I mean? That's, it's absolutely fixable. You just have to, you're never going to do it if you don't know what those numbers are and those, that cash flow and know where you're at in terms of a balance sheet. So, um, but yeah, for a lot of people, it's tough. Okay. So what's next? The next thing is to, you know, a lot of people, I think in terms of, you know, getting rich or financially independent or, you know, they think it's like a one-time event or they think, oh, you know, I'm going to get a lump sum of money one day or, you know, when we sell the house and we'll put into investments and that should carry us forward. And, you know, we should, but that's really not how it works. It's not a one-time event. It's, it's month in, month out for a long period of time, being consistent and thinking very long-term. Getting rich or financially independent is not done in a year. It's done over a long time. So you got to think in terms of compound interest. You got to think in terms of long-term compound interest. That's how people get rich and anybody can get rich or financially independent doing it. So, you know, when I say compound interest or thinking long-term, I mean, how long are we talking? What are you talking about with compound interest? A lot of people don't really understand what those terms are. So, you know, just to give you an example, if you were to spend or invest or save $458 a month for 40 years, a lot of people say, oh man, $458 a month, that's a lot of money, but it really isn't. It's actually $5,500 a year, okay? And the the stock market's averaged 9% since 1965, 9.3% uh, with dividends reinvested. So if you take that 5500 a year at 9, 9.3% for 40 years, that's over $1.7 million. And that's not that much money. I mean, I get, I get it for some people with kids and families and stuff. It is a lot of money, but people spend that on cars. People spend it on, you know, going out to eat, drinks. So surely there has to be some adjustment by keeping yourself accountable. There has to be some sacrifice, understandably. But it's for a good reason. It's for a good purpose. It's to get out of that rat race. It's to get out of, you know, kind of living paycheck to paycheck and that sort of thing. So $1.7 million is nothing to sneeze at. It, it doesn't take an incredible amount of money. But it, again, it's that consistency. It's being consistent, thinking long-term, compound interest, and that money just snowballs, you know, really towards the later years. So, and in that little scenario I just gave you, 
it's interesting that only 219,000 of that would have been money that you actually contributed. Um, 1.5 million of it would be the accumulation of the compounding, the interest. So, you know, if any, anybody that's never heard of compound interest or anything like that, maybe do a little quick search about what it is and, and kind of play around with it. They have financial uh, financial calculators that will do compound interest, and that's how people get rich. It's not putting $458 a month in the Bank of America, you know, earning 80 basis or 0.8%. It's getting that money working for you month in, month out, 458 bucks or whatever you can do, and just be consistent and think long-term. So yeah, for, I mean, $458 a month, it does sound like a lot, but if you really think about it, like if you pay off your car and then just don't immediately go out and buy a new car, you know, that's it right there. Or if, if the car payment by itself isn't 458 bucks, it's going to be the better part of it. Cause that's, that's about average for, for what people pay for. Like and that goes back day. and that goes back to point one, doesn't it? It does. Yes. <laughs> that's a good we haven't even made it to the fourth point yet and we're already at a full circle. But that's so true, right? Because you're exactly right. What do people do? I mean, they don't take care of their cars. They don't wash them. They don't wax them. They don't maintain them like they should. And, and they just, they're in the mindset to always have a car payment, right? Well, in this one, we'll just go out and buy a new car because we can afford $450, $500 a month, right? A lot of people use that we can afford it mentality to life. So what they do is they spend right up to what they bring in every month. So if they have $7,000 of take-home pay deposited into their bank accounts, they use the we can afford it approach all the way up to spending just about $7,000 a month. So they've got no free cash to put away to let that money grow and compound over time. So just like you said, you know, the average person, instead of keeping that car and letting it ride for four or five years and have no car payment, they'll think like a consumer and they'll go buy a new car because we can afford it. Right. And that's what people do. And they never give themselves a fighting chance of having free cash flow to put away. I mean, just think about it. If you could live on 50% of what you take home, so if you took home between you and your significant other $7,000 a month and you're able to put $3,500 a month, you can live on $3,500. So you're going to put $3,500 every month into a long-term investment vehicle at 9%. If you play around with a financial compound interest calculator with that, it's an exorbitant amount of money later. You know, So again, investor, not a consumer, understand cal cash flow balance sheet like we talked about and be consistent and think long term. Okay, and so what is the the fourth step, the last step? Actually it's probably the hardest. Save the best for last, right? Discipline. You have to maintain discipline. I mean, so often when things change in your life, situations change, somebody new comes into your life, you know, obviously kids are a big one. I mean that's kinda of hard because you don't want to <clears throat> take away from that, obviously, but you have to maintain discipline. I mean, if you said with your significant other, you set out a game plan and, and you said, look, we're going to, we're going to live on, you know, 60% of our take home pay and we're going to try to invest and save 40% for the long term. You have to stick to it. And sometimes that requires to make some sacrifices that, you know, everybody's got to be comfortable with. Um, but that's just part of it. And the reward is, you know, obviously later in life. And some people have a hard time with that. You know, the YOLO mentality, you only live once. I get that. But Somehow, some way, you have to find comfort in living on significantly less than you're bringing in and get fulfillment out of that, get happiness out of that, and just live simple, you know, live efficient. And all that is driven towards, you know, maintaining discipline and just keeping that high savings rate, um, putting that money away. And that's it. And you do that over a long enough time, and the money will compound and grow like you wouldn't believe. So. Yes, discipline is something a lot of people struggle with. 
uh, you can kind of bring it back to, you know, putting everything on paper, like we said, for the other step, a lot of people just don't like doing it. Uh, but one thing that can help is there's a lot of automation that you can put into your finances so that, you know, you don't have to have the discipline per se every month or every week. You can just kind of set it and it just does its own thing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, yeah, there's really no excuse in my opinion these days. I mean, no excuse because, you know, even when I started in 2008 and, or 2008 and nine, um, I had to do everything by hand. I mean, maybe that stuff was around, like we're talking about mint and personal capital, which is, personal capital is the one that I use. I, I don't know if those were around back then. I would have to assume they weren't, or maybe they were just starting, but yeah, with, with cloud computing and technology, I mean, they have software that's just phenomenal for plugging in, you know, your account information, have all your finances in one place um, where it kind of tracks your cash flow, it tracks your balance sheet. It does all that stuff for you. So you don't really don't have to sit down every month and do it manually. I still do it manually just because maybe I'm old school like that, but I also use personal capital and I swear by it. So. Okay, but, but even simpler, which the personal capital and, and the mint are, are great. And I, I do recommend them to anyone who's looking to do this, but even simpler than that, you can just do things as simple as just having like a Roth IRA taken out of your paycheck before you even get it. So you don't even really miss that money when you get your paycheck. Thing, thing, simple things like that, like the simplest, like this is the first step I can do. Yeah, those are great. And that is great. 401k, you know, money coming out automatically pre-tax, you know, the whole concept of paying yourself first. Um, like you suggested, you know, putting $458 a month into an IRA that comes out automatically. Those are great. And it does automate the process and the automation in itself is great. However, how often maybe you don't hear it as much as I, but people will come to me and say, Hey, look, you know, I'm thinking about taking a loan out of my 401k because I'm really just, you know, borrowing the money and I'm paying myself back. It's like I'm paying interest on the loan. You know what I mean? And they justify it that way. Or people even take money out of an IRA because in some situations you can take it out penalty free. Um, so how often my point is you hear people dipping into those retirement accounts because they want to put in a pool or they've got some credit card debt and they want to consolidate or, you know, whatever the case. So, and that stems and comes about from not understanding your cash flow. People get into cash flow problems. They're not saving cash every month. They're putting money, they're overextending themselves and putting money on credit cards. Um, and what happens is that cash doesn't get managed like it should, that cash flow. And what happens is people oftentimes even with automatic retirement savings and investing, we forced to dip into that to either consolidate or, or, you know, like we talked about, do whatever they do. So while automation is a phenomenal tool, it's not the end all be all. Don't just do that and set it and forget it and not manage that cash flow because you can get yourself in trouble. So you could sum it up by saying automation with awareness. Right. Yeah, that's good. Automation is, is I use automation. I mean, I have my 401k, obviously I have IRA money that comes out every month that's automatic, but I still manage my cash flow. And I do that because I want to make sure that I have free cash flow every month. So I never have to dip into those retirement accounts. You know, if I want something, if I need, uh, you know, a consumer item or I need a new car, I'm doing it through cash flow and saving up cash flow and, and managing that cash flow in a way that's conducive to being able to pay for what I want cash. All right. Good stuff, Bo. We are running out on time. Uh, so real quick, just to summarize the whole thing. Uh, if somebody wanted to pick up a book that's really good, they should pick up. 
I would start with Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And the four key elements or steps that someone should take when they're starting are? Yeah, first thing is, you know, you want to think like an investor and not a consumer. Very, very important. You want to rewire that brain. Um, number two is you want to have a deep understanding of your balance sheet and your cash flow. And you want to track those, you know, month in and month out and know exactly where you're at at all times. No guesswork. Number three is you want to be consistent and think long term. Understand compound interest. Understand how that ties in to building wealth long term. And of course, number four is you have to maintain discipline because it's not going to happen if you don't do it very consistently month in and month out over a long period of time. So that's it. All right. Awesome stuff. Bo, thank you so much for coming on as usual. Uh, amazing stuff. Um, as usual, I feel worse about myself now than I did before we started. Uh, but that's okay because hopefully that'll keep me motivated to go in the right direction. Um, <laughs> Bo, I, I hope you have a great holiday and, and thank you again, man. Thank you. All right. Well, as usual, that was some great information from Bo there. If you're interested in any of the stuff we talked about, the book was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And we mentioned both websites, personalcapital.com and mint.com. Again, if you want to find Bo online, his Twitter handle is at Bo6303. That's B-E-A-U. And you can feel free to reach out to him with any questions you have. He'll be more than happy to take the time and answer them for you. The music at the beginning and the end of the show is My Train to Come In by Unicorn Head. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you come back for the next one.